this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. of liberty and prosperity, and the highway to the north. This is Safety Wars for October 4th, 2022. I'm your host, Jim Polzel. We got a lot of stuff going on tonight. We're going to cover some areas that we don't normally cover, including sports. We'll have some sports coverage. This from Washington. The U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration announced the addition of a new organization, new organization to its OSHA Training Institute and its Education Center Network. Sorry about that. And the renewal of 25 existing educational centers. So these are the centers that you go for if you are an OSHA outreach trainer or uh, they offer many, many different courses. Uh, The one I attend is Rutgers, but there are 25 others across the country, geographically scattered. uh, And essentially an organization goes and applies to be an OSHA outreach center and they meet certain requirements. And you actually go and get Uh, approved to do all different types of OSHA training. All of the OSHA outreach training centers were reauthorized with a new one in Denver, Colorado called the Construction Education Foundation. The White House is trying to talk OPEC out of cutting production on Wednesday, which is bound to cause all the commodities to rise, not only oil and refined products. So we'll go right now uh, with some of the commodities here. A gasoline has a national average, according to AAA, of 3.80 a gallon. Diesel at 4.479 a gallon, and home heating oil in the New York region, 4.75 a gallon. That means it's going to be over $1,306 to fill a 275-gallon fuel tank, right? Which is, in my experience, fuel tanks are either 275 or 500 for a home. So you're talking about a lot of dough there. Uh, it's going to destroy the family budget. I spoke to a chimney contractor today. Uh, they're running about five to six weeks behind on chimney maintenance, uh, which is outrageous. People are going back to burning wood, and especially in the rural areas where there is wood available. And people are going nuts, basically, is what he said. He's got usually... He's like a week behind, two weeks worth of work. This year, five to six weeks uh, into it. So that's something that you really need to consider, especially if you have an older fireplace, an older wood-burning stove, or even coal-burning and wood pellet. Is is that up to snuff? Is it? Does it meet the current UL requirements? I spoke to an insurance company recently, and they said. Basically, if uh, this was a homeowner's policy I had to renew, that if you do not have a somewhat modern uh, chimney and fireplace, something like that, the homeowners may or may not cover it. I'm just telling you what I was told. And another story, the New York DEA said that they seized more than 15,000 fentanyl pills from a Lego box. It's recorded the largest bus today in New York. It's like we didn't have enough to worry about. We have Halloween coming up. And what they're doing is they're now packaging these fentanyl pills in the, uh, basically in rainbow colors and colors that would be attractive to children. I know back in uh, the 80s when I grew up in the 70s, they actually put drugs into like, uh, uh, dots on paper and you would actually lick them or whatever and you get a high and they marketed it to children uh, pretty sick individuals if you ask me but remember if you are participating in Halloween check your candy app 
uh, before you let your kids eat it. That's what we do. According to, uh, to the Journal of American Medical Association, for every 2,000 steps you take each day, you risk uh, your risk of premature death falls from 11 uh, up to 11%. That should be good news to all of us safety professionals doing safety audits uh, over at our facilities, because especially the warehouses. I know one of my guys uh, audits a warehouse every day. He ends up walking 10 or 11 miles a day of... Uh, no, just doing a safety audit. There is, thank God for smartwatches to track this. In a related study, uh, there was te- if you get 10,000 steps a day, it reduces cardiovascular disease, 13 different kinds of uh, cancer, and your risk for dementia. So keep walking, people. Bangladesh is faced with the world's biggest power outage right now with 140 million people without power uh, since yesterday. They have no idea what's going on. Why there's this power outage? Alaska, New Mexico, and Tennessee top the list of states with the highest rates of murder, rape, and violent crime, while Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont have the lowest. The list was compiled by Texas-based law firm Vela Law. What, what's going on in these areas? Basically, what they're saying is in Alaska, demographic imbalances, meaning more women than men, fewer law enforcement, and alcohol consumption uh, in the state is leading to that. That's what they're saying. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm taking them at their word. States with the lowest crime rates are credited with better social safety uh, nets. And the other thing is this. The other areas with high rates of crime, they may be rural states like New Mexico, but uh, in their cities, that offsets everything. Uh, with Now, there was a study several years ago on where violent crime is in the United States. And essentially it came down to only a handful of counties and cities where there uh, violent crime, gun crimes, things of that nature. I'd like to see what that is nowadays because with all, uh, that, those statistics are important because you need to focus your law enforcement efforts at those areas where there's problems. I'm just wondering how all of this has changed in the last couple of years. So now we're down with the hurricane response going on five days, six days, depending on how you want to count here, over from uh, Hurricane Ian, which hit Florida, no, Cuba, Florida, and South Carolina, the Carolinas. And we got the remnants of it up here in upstate New York today and last night. I mean, it rained all day, which we needed. Light, nice, gentle rain uh, because we're in a drought situation. I haven't seen the reservoirs down this low ever in my entire life. And even some of the man-made lakes, uh, the water levels are down. Uh, for a lot of people out there, it's becoming desperate. And one thing that is not useful, you hear these folks. Well, look, they refu- these people refuse to evacuate, so screw them. We're not going to worry about them. We're not going to blah, blah, blah. Screw them. They didn't do what they were supposed to. I tell you what, that does not help the situation. And remember, as a principle of human and organizational performance, blame fixes nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, Just the way it is. Okay, well, you blame them. It's their fault. Shame on them. Now what do we do? What are you going to do? Let people starve? Let people die of thirst? which is one of the most horrible deaths you can die from, uh, was my understanding. But remember, when we talked about uh, during disaster, uh, disaster Preparation Month last month, I classify everything, standard thing, safety wars, four things. You have the short-term disaster, zero to 24 hours. Category one, category two, 24 to 96 hours up to. Then category three is up to 30 days. And category four, is after 30 days. A lot of these folks, now they have surpassed Category 1, Category 2, they're into Category 3. They're talking two or three weeks worth of uh, roughing it out here. No food stores, limited distribution, even though they have something like five to 10,000 National Guards, uh, men and women out there, you know, it's not going to be easy. And if this goes after 30 days... Uh, like I was having a discussion with someone online, 
after 30 days, you're into a whole nother thing <laughs> there. But I, I feel confident that it's not going to go that long. Where do you find information on disaster preparation? You can check us out on our Safety Wars podcast uh, from last month, September 2022 and September 2021. And there are also other resources at FEMA.gov or Ready.gov. The EPA had an announcement today on a nationwide outreach initiative to reduce lead exposure in underserved communities. So I've been involved with uh, lead-based paint issues since about 1993 when the 1926-62 standard came out uh, and people started getting trained and everything else. Uh, There's a lot of horror stories out there with lead that I've run into over the years. And uh, especially on military bases uh, where things are not being handled the way they're supposed to. And if anybody wants to talk to me and confront me about it, you're welcome to do that. You can call me up at 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. And believe me, we can have a debate on how uh, bad this has been and how this has been managed. But uh, essentially, and on government housing also, government housing of all types. And what happened was uh, a number of years ago, something like the mid to late 2000s, we had a lot of folks out there. Oh, by the way, uh, my alert's coming off. Aaron Judge hits the 62nd home run of the year uh, versus the Texas Rangers. So congratulations, Aaron Judge. Uh so mid two thousands, they had, uh, uh, no, they had enforced the nineteen twenty six sixty two regulation. They started to get into the uh, residential housing more, and they realized a lot of residential housing being worked on for renovations and everything. There was uh, a problem with contractors not doing the right thing being lackadaisical with their safety standards, potentially exposing uh, folks, uh, the homeowners, especially children. Remember, lead in the home is focused on children between the ages of six months and six years. What's the danger? They're eating lead-based paint chips and things of that nature is the primary one. So the EPA came out with a, uh, with a whole scheme of lead training. And... Uh, for uh, contractors, for uh, workers, and, and things of that nature. And they're offering a whole bunch of free courses. You can check the EPA website out. Uh, it was released by press at epa.gov October 4th, 2022. So uh, I signed up for one of the free classes. Uh, no, I have to... Uh, I have to maintain my credentials here. We're going to go through a break right now, and I'll see you the other side of the break. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's Safety Today. All right, we are back here with Safety Wars. 
Uh, a little bit of a different pace here. I wanted to go into a little bit of sports news. We already had one, Aaron Judge, right? And no, I, no my phone is blowing up. 62nd home run of the year, establishing a new American League record. Uh, congratulations. But there's also another kind of baseball out there called Banana Ball. You folks down in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, may have heard of this. You have the local team, Savannah Bananas, and today they released their 70-game schedule. That's what we were just watching before this, immediately before the program. My son has become a very big fan of Banana Balls. A little bit of history. Banana Ball debuted two summers ago and is a derivative of the Savannah Bananas, an amateur collegiate team that played in the Coastal Plain League. Next, they decided to leave the Coastal Plain League and just go out. They're similar. I would describe them to either the Harlem Globetrotters or the Harlem Wizards uh, uh, baseball game. They're an exhibition, uh, uh, I'm sorry, basketball team. They're an exhibition baseball team, and they have their own uh, team that they uh, bring around, the animals. And uh, I'm sorry, the party animals. And what happens is they have several different rule changes. So what, 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 what's the significant thing? They wanted to make, and here I'm going to be quoting, uh, including some of the rules. There are several rules, and these are not the only ones. There's a two-hour time limit, no bunting, no visits to the mound, no stepping out of the batter's boxes, and this article says no walks, but they do have walks. And But you could throw someone out on a walk after four fall balls if everybody touches the ball at um defense, everyone touches the ball, then they're able to get the batter out. And the batter could sprint and could conceivably get a home run on a walk. No, after four balls. The other thing is the uh, spectators participate. They are, if there is a ball caught by a spectator, it counts as an out. Also, they had uh, the first pitch, the ceremonial first pitch counts it's either counts as a strike or a ball. And they have all different promotions, songs, promotions, dancing. Everybody participates. Everybody has a really great uh, uh, thing on there. That, you know, they're also being promoted. I forget what channel. Uh, ESPN Plus has a whole series devoted to man- Banana Ball. And I tell you what, looks like a lot of fun. My son is a banana, a Savannah Banana fan. And... It's uh, everybody's great. They basically have played to sold out crowds for years since their beginning. And the whole thing is to make it fun. And you can say, well, Jimmy, what does that have to do with safety? Guess what? Safety and maybe our lives here, but come on, there's still life outside of safety. Go out there and have some fun. Uh, some of the areas that they're going to be playing in next year are the New York City area, Trenton, New Jersey. Hartford, Connecticut, Portland, Maine. So up here in the Northeast, as well as a very uh, 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 detailed, no, all-inclusive season all down the East Coast of the United States and the West Coast of the United States. So check them out at the SavannahBananas.com. On to our financial stuff that we go through all the time. Hopefully this, why do I do it? Financial stuff, very simple. We do the financial stuff because we are the first ones to report on it. Most of the people are getting this uh, program in the morning. After the markets close in the United States, they're getting it first thing in the morning. Hopefully, they're working out to Jim Pozel and Safety Wars. So here are some of the commodities and other numbers for today. The NASDAQ is 37.90.93. That's up. 10-year treasury is at 30.6%. Gold is up. 17.36. Silver, 21.35. Platinum, 961.70. Palladium, 23.62.50. Bitcoin is up over 20,000 again. 20,325.70. Oil is at 91.84. We covered earlier on OPEC is going to be 
starting tomorrow, Wednesday, October 5th, is going to be uh, uh, cutting back production. That's going to impact everything. Here, all of our prices are going to go up. Gasoline, national average at 380. Diesel at 479. Home heating oil in the New York region, 475. That no, and that means that's a lot of money, dude. Think about it. Thirteen hundred and six dollars to fill up a oil tank for your home. What's that going to do to everything? Right, you're you're going to be, uh, you know, a modest family. That was going to be uh, having that uh, thermostat dialed all the way back, maybe using supplemental things. And, of course, uh, a lot of things have been outlawed in this country, various cities, especially kerosene uh, kerosene heaters, the old-fashioned ones. Well, guess what? Can you imagine some desperate people using those and then ending up causing a problem, causing a fire? This is like a major issue here with people and what they will do to keep warm. It's not safe, and of course, it's another front in the safety war. How do we heat our houses safely? How do we heat our apartments safely? What if you're a rat in, in a rat-infested tenement in the inner city? Here, you're going to have a problem, and it is a problem. No, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe I'm getting a little bit too swampy here, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean... There's our swamp. Maybe I'm getting a little bit swampy, but we're going to have to figure out some type of solution here for what we're going to do about this. That's going to be safe. That's going to bring people together, unify people, keep things real out here. So uh, what else do we have here? We have... We're going to move on over after a brief commercial break over to safety and health programs under OSHA. Boy, isn't that exciting. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com So, this week, I'm going to, I'm uh, teaching at a, at the university, which I'll remain nameless right now, and we, I am teaching two classes. I'm teaching the 10-hour outreach class, general industry, for one of the jobs programs in one of the inner cities in New Jersey. And we're also doing first aid CPR training. But the purpose of the training is not only do I do the uh, regular college classes, but I do stuff for outreach for the community. I love doing it because it's all about being part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I normally go to disaffected communities, disaffected persons. Uh, they could have all different types of situations. They could be incarcerated, formerly recently incarcerated, out of drug rehabs, out of may have a criminal record, may have some learning disabilities, and things of that nature. Other all different types of situations. And what happens is these organizations, these folks, uh. They got taken advantage of. Our former New Jersey governor, and I'll, I know him. Uh, he was the mayor of my hometown, Jim McGreevy, for many years. He was the mayor of my hometown and my state rep- representative, and he ended up to being governor. He uh, works with a lot of reentry programs. And even though I'm not working with him on this, I have in the past with him in another organization where they fed uh, individuals into the university system to get safety training. One of the things is, and there was a major story last year on MSNBC, how people in this type of situation get taken advantage of, especially with safety. Companies feel that they can hire them 
In some states, they don't even have to pay a, a minimum wage uh, in some areas. And they, no, they, uh, they, they can pay because they may be classified as disabled. People come up and they take advantage of them. Uh, same thing with uh, formerly incarcerated people. Nobody wants, very few people, if any, want to hire, want to hire uh, outside of construction as a, uh, an incarcerated person or formerly incarcerated person. So what happens is these folks got thrown into situations that are horrific. One of the things that they do is, and uh, they're cracking down on this a little bit, they sign them up as independent contractors. And they don't really meet the standards under the IRS in a lot of cases as an independent contractor. Because they're not in, they are not in charge of doing the work. They still have to follow instructions. There's a case going on right now with the newspapers. It's working its way through the court system uh, on uh, whether or not a paper carrier, what we used to call paper girls and paper boys, uh, are actual employees and re- deserve uh, job protections and everything. I don't, uh, unfor- I'll take a cynic's view. I think it's more to do with taxes and worker protection because as we know, independent contractors, they're treated as company owners and OSHA does not apply to them. Workers' comp doesn't apply to them. They don't need workers' comp in most states. Some of the contracts that I work on, you know, even though I'm self-employed, I still have to have workers' comp. So what's my point? My point here is that it's an important thing to go and get training and give the training. And if you hire, if your employer hires people on these lines, it's imperative that you get training and everything else. Don't sell these folks short. They're good people. So I'm getting uh, ready for the training class, and I come upon uh, a uh, document, OSHA document 3885, on safety and health recommended practice for safety and health programs. And this is going to be part of the training uh, with this. And what do I try to do? I try to teach real basic safety because this is the only safety that these folks are going to likely get with a lot of their employers. It's the, and I'm trying to make it simple so they could repeat it so they could remember it and giving out good training materials. So I, I'm on page five of this document. And again, okay, it's an OSHA document. And it applies to everybody. If these, uh, it's 10 easy things to get your, pardon me, safety and health programs started. If these recommended practices appear challenging, here are some simple steps. And this is like a 40-page document here, right? I'm not going to read all through 40 pages. So completing these steps will give you a solid base from which to take on some of the more structured actions presented in the recommended practices. Number one, set safety and health as a top priority. It's like this. Safety cannot be a priority. As Mike Rose said back in 2009, the best safety uh, safety could be the highest priority is a number three. And it's a game of semantics. You got to get the job and do the job, then you worry about safety. I disagree with him on that. I say safety fourth. You have to get the job, do the job. You got to get paid and make sure you're financially solvent. Then there were the companies are worried about safety. I wish that was number one, but this is not what reality is. And unfortunately, I am the corporate safety director of Realityville, among other things. That's what I consider myself. We got to do things with reality. That's what the whole idea of human and organizational performance is, is that we're not dealing with, well, like uh, the other people in the behavior-based safety that are strictly behavior-based safety. I do realize that most programs are a uh, hybrid of both sides of the aisle here. But what what happens? You're here, you're treating safety uh, now, uh, no, safety is a priority and everything else. Oh, I'm go- safety is going to be a priority. That puts like an end point to it almost because now we have achieved safety and now we don't have to worry about it. We'll move on to something else. It's a very operational thinking. The other thing is this. 
safety as a priority means that there are other higher priorities. Well, I like to think of it, and I used to think that this was a little bit too touchy-feely for me. It was safety needs to be a value. Safety needs to be incorporated into everything that you are doing here. It's not, oh, uh, oh it's a priority. We do that, you know. Uh, no, it has to be incorporated into everything you do. You have to have it into your head that we're going to work safe. We're going to set up systems that are easy to follow as possible. Try to get into that SKC mode of skills-based mode where everything's as much routine. You have a procedure, easy to follow and everything else, and you do it. I had a conversation with someone uh, today on water and a disaster. And they had a big, long thing with uh, water, well, treatment and collection and everything else. And I said, that's great if you're the only one handling it. But realize with the system you have set up, you really got to know what's going on. And the chances of you delegating that to someone and for that to be successful Really not going to be, I won't go into all the details, but it's not germane to this, but all right. So it has to be a, they say a priority. I say it has to be a value. It has to be inherent in everything that you're doing. Number two, I can't argue with. Lead by example. Make, so if you are doing safety, you're a leader in that organization. And remember, leader does not necessarily mean uh, 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 no, supervisor, foreman, person in charge, QI, qualified individual, right? All of those things. That's not what uh, a leader is. A leader is simple as person of influence. That could be almost anybody, a person of influence. I always give the example of the guy who was in a burning uh, process area that was on fire who refused to listen to any safety person when he was told to get out of the area because it was on fire. Well, your safety, I don't have to listen to you. That was his thinking. So it's just who you can, how can you be an influence? Lead by example, act safe, wear your PPE, right? Talk about safety in your conversations. Implement a reporting system. This is what I tell people. Make sure that you have some type of a reporting system without fear of retaliation. So one of the principles at HOP is of what human organizational performance is that you have to go in there and not freak out. How you react to a situation is going to uh, dictate whether or not you're going to get any reporting. Now, if you go the other way, so uh, no, this is usually what uh, you know what happens. You go in and you say, "Oh, there was a near miss, good catch," and you have this ominous music going on in your head. I have to report this. I have to report this to my supervisor, and you start freaking out. And then what happens? What happens? You go in there with your supervisor, right? And they say, oh, you messed up. You made a mistake. This is going on your permanent record. And everybody starts freaking out. And then this one's freaking out. That one's freaking out. You got a first aid. Well, at least it's not an amputation, Mr. Supervisor. Well, guess what? It's our first aid. And we don't like first aids here. And then what happens? Nothing gets reported. Nothing gets reported. Wow. If you're going to have an attitude like that, you're a supervisor. No one's going to tell you jack. All right? No one's going to tell you anything. And they're going to go. And what happens? A year, Like what happens to one of uh, the companies I work with? No, they, make, they used to make a big deal out of anything, and they said, Jimmy, how do we prevent getting a lawsuit two, week, two years later on um, shit that we didn't even hear about, we never heard about? And it's like, how do you, do, how do you get it? How, how do you prevent this? One, you get along with people, number one. Number two, don't overreact. Encourage this stuff. Even if it drives you nuts, keep it inside. You could be screaming and yelling and cursing and everything else in your head. 
you go out there, yeah, you have to be a little bit of a phony at the at, at first, but if you freak out, you're not going to, and you make it difficult on people to report, and you have consequences with it, they're not going to report anything. So if you're going to be implementing a, a reporting system, have a sense, okay, we, hey, I need you to report injuries, illnesses, and incidents, including near misses and other stuff, immediately, and then we're not going to retaliate, right? Anything that you have, hazards or safety and health, you got to go out there and you got to go and you have to report it. And then treat people nice. Treat people like human beings, for God's sake. And chances are you're going to get a lot of information, a lot of it useful, a lot of it not useful, but at least you'll be getting information. So maybe you could at least make an attempt to try to get a leading indicator Try to identify issues and everything else. Now, you're the worker. What's the advantage to reporting this stuff? One safer workplace. Well, let's remember, if you wait to report an injury, the chances, at least in my experience, that workman's comp is going to cover it is going to be lower and lower and lower and lower. And what's going to happen? You're going to get screwed. <laughs> Simple. Oh, well, you know, and you might have gotten hurt. It might be a legitimate injury, but guess what? You're not getting treatment that you may need. You may, and workers' comp isn't paying your bills. You may have to go to uh, your, uh, through your private health insurance and lie to them and commit insurance fraud. What's the insurance fraud? Where did this happen? Uh, it happened in my backyard when I was doing some landscaping versus it happened in work. Well, if it happened at work, it's a workers' comp issue. Big issue. Provide training. If you're an employer, you have to provide training on everything that you're doing out there. Document it. It could be on-the-job training, but document on-the-job training all the time. Right? And if you are a employee and you're not getting the training, there are other ways of getting the training. You can listen to 19 different uh, broadcasters on the Safety FM uh, network, right? Oh, 17, 18, 19, whatever. A lot of good information here. You can also go to OSHA.gov and whatever your state uh, or websites are or even your uh, labor organizations. They have plenty of, there's plenty of stuff out there for training. And if worse comes to worse, do something that we don't do as men. And you know what that is. What don't we do as men? Can you think? Can you think? What is it? It's read the instruction manual. Why would you want to read the instruction manual, right? Number five, conduct inspections. If you're on a construction site, a confident person, according to the regulation, has to go and I think it's 1926.32. A confident person has got to do regular inspections of the job site. But what I always say is, yeah, do the inspections, do user inspections for fall protection equipment, ladders, things of that nature. Make sure you document them. Because in the OSHA world, if it's not documented, it does not happen. The other thing is this. Your inspections and things of that nature, get your employees to help you develop the forms. Because if you don't do that, they're going to end up pencil whipping the forms if they're too cumbersome. And we're going to take a break right now. And... In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, 
we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. Okay, we're back with the final five easy things to get your program started. This is from, as a reminder, OSHA Publication 3885, available on their website, and it's entitled Recommended Practices for Safety and Health Programs. So item number six, collect hazard control ideas. Ask workers for ideas on improvements and follow-up on their suggestions. Provide them time during work hours, if necessary, to research solutions. That's a really good thing. Encouraging your workers to find solutions and collect hazard uh, control ideas gives them ownership of everything that they're doing. You don't have to go out there and uh, uh, you don't need to go out there and find solutions for them. If you go and you tell them what to do, especially if they're experienced workers, guess what? There's going to be an issue. So let's talk about this for a minute. You're involved in a accident investigation. Call learning team, I call it, but an accident investigation. You're going to be investigating things. What happened? And this is usually what happens, and this is one of the reasons why safety professionals are often hated. It's the, I am a safety professional. I've never done your job. I don't know how to do your job. And I'm going to go and I'm going to collect, and I'm going to tell you how to do the job. And this is, uh, uh, you know, this is all I'm going to tell you how to do. Then we get into number seven, implement hazard controls. Now, if I'm going to be someone out, no, what's my experience? I am, I started out as a laborer. I did a uh, on construction sites, did a lot of highway, uh, no, a lot of concrete pours. I did a lot of black topping. I went into, in college, I worked my way through warehousing. After college, I went out and I came up through the environmental industry and then construction, which is, you know, part of the environmental industry. Did some a lot of general industry work. And now I own a business and now I'm doing this, among other things, and training. You could call us at 845-269-5772 for your training class. But anyway, we did all of this stuff do you think I'm a carpenter? I'm not a carpenter. I'm, I know a lot about painting. Did a lot of work in industrial painting. Did that stuff. Let's say I go into something that I've never done before, and I'm going to be talking to the guy, usually the guy, sometimes woman, on, hey, this is the way you should be doing the work. Do you think I'm going to get any traction there? How's that? I'm not going to get any traction. They're going to actually resent me for this. So this is a major, major issue here that you need to uh, take care of. Now, who's coming up with the hazard control uh, stuff? Who's coming up with these evaluations? Who's implementing the hazard controls? If you get the workers involved in, uh, in uh, their own work area, they get ownership. The problem is, and there is one problem here, if you have a lot of turnover, because if you have turnover and you have new employees coming in and the employees that are remaining, right, from whatever, you now the experienced employees don't know why things happen the way that they are. You need institutional memory here. Once you lose that institutional memory, you have a problem. Now you got to retrain everybody. This is why we're doing X, Y, and Z. This is what we're doing. This is where I mentioned it uh, about three weeks ago, ritual. I believe it was on Safety Wars Live, is a ritual. This is where your rituals come out. What rituals do we have in the safety world? Weekly safety meetings, daily toolbox talks. doesn't matter what you talk, what you call them, job hazard analysis meetings, things of that nature. So we could go and pass this information along. As human beings, the rituals and the ritualistic behavior is what really passes along memory. It's how we're wired, according to some anthropologists. Anthropologists believe, here's a little bit, and I'm getting off the rails here into the weeds. 
No, I'm going into the weeds. Not. Yes, I know. That's laughable. Jim's going into the weeds talking about anthropology. But we're going to be going off into the weeds, maybe off into the swamp a little bit here. We have... This is what happens. What we found out, homo sapiens, however we evolve, were not verbal. We received verbal our verbal vocalizations more from the Neanderthals when we interbred with Neanderthal. And if you do a 23andMe or one of those other DNA databases, you'll find out how much Neanderthal DNA is in you. And before that, how do we communicate? Before we had the written language or the spoken language or whatever, we had rituals. And that's how people communicated. That's how they passed down history. That's how they passed down traditions, learnings, all the way back. Do the same thing with that safety meeting. That is a ritual. Number eight, address emergencies. I can't tell you how important it is to address an emergency. You have to go out, and, and this is, you know, don't, uh, don't discount this. Part of the outreach training that I was doing was exits and uh, emergency exits and uh, clutter, housekeeping, things of that nature, all part of the 10-hour outreach course for walking and working surfaces and all of that stuff and exits. Guess what? We walk the entire building that we do the training in and we go and we do a little exit uh, uh, uh I think this is an emergency thing. This is how we're going to beat. This is why this is set up. And we go through all of that. It's hands-on. You got to do that in your organization. What kind of emergencies do you have out there that you have to address in a workplace? One, how to get out of the workplace. Number two, how to report an emergency. What are the likely scenarios? Who's the emergency responder? Do you Are you relying on 911 or 911? Uh, now, do you have another emergency out uh, uh, reporting system? Uh, all of this stuff goes into that. Everything has to go in there. How do you address emergencies? You have tabletop exercises. You have a fatal flaw uh, uh, analysis done. You come out with the worst case scenario. You try to assess, analyze, and act. All of that stuff on how to address emergencies. Here's another one. Seek input on workplace trainings, or I'm sorry, workplace changes. Before making significant changes to the workplace, your work organization, equipment, or materials, consult with coworkers to identify potential safety or health issues. What's this mean? You gotta make safety part of your everyday conversation. It's really critical that you do, you know, with your regular, into your regular conversation here, uh, whatever that is. No, don't be afraid. Do you need to have a safety committee? Where now we are going to go and we're going to talk about in the committee uh, on how to uh, make our workplace safe. Employers don't really like that often. It's a very forward-thinking employer that has a safety commission. It's usually a uh, safety committee. It's usually because somebody is forcing them to do it but make it part of your regular meetings. So if you're in managers, okay, we're gonna spend the first two minutes of every meeting with a safety moment where we're gonna talk about something and then we're gonna talk about how it impacts us. Pick a subject, doesn't have to be, it could be PPE, but it helps if you're on a schedule. With me, I, for my clients, they are on a 52 week a year schedule for safety meetings. And you can contact us for more information. And every week, they get a different safety meeting that's tailor-made for them. We have it for maritime safety. We have it for general industry. We have it for construction. We have it for environmental. We have this stuff available. And make improvements. Set aside regular time to discuss safety and health issues right, with the goal of identifying ways to improve the program. That's basically it, what they have. Now, what else that they have here in the document is the core elements of a safety and health program. Management leadership. Somebody in that C-suite has got to get out of the C-suite and find out what's going on. 
Pat me a leader. Whatever it is that in there, you can remember you can have basically two types of leaderships here. You have leadership by assignment and leadership by earning it. We all start out with leadership by assignment. Hi, you're the new safety professional. Guess what? You have a little bit of leadership. If you don't go into the earned leadership aspect of this, or you're going to be earning it, getting everybody nice and good and everything else, or earning the leadership, uh, and earn, get to the earned leadership thing, it's going to make your job very difficult. It's not going to be fun. All right. So, and the other thing is, it's more dangerous for the workers. Worker participation. Get your workers to participate. Some will, some won't. Rejoice in the ones who do. Uh, with the ones who don't, that's okay too. If they see results sometimes of your efforts, then all of a sudden they may come on board. That's the secret. You don't have to get all the workers to participate. You only have to get their leadership to participate. And it makes it a lot easier. Using basic sociology, 90% of the people are followers out there. Uh 7% of the people are going to be leaders and 3% are going to go and build on to whatever leadership stuff you know, or whatever you taught them. They're going to be able to build on that. So if you target that 7 and 3%, your leaders, guess what? That cuts out 90% of your work there. You don't have to you know, like everybody and they don't have to like you. Uh, hazard identification and assessment, right? Continuously, continuous improvement. On everything, find out why accidents happen, what you could predict, what kind of route. And the thing is, the non-routine tasks where everybody is paying attention, those are not usually where you have a problem. It's in the routine task that you may have a pro operational ex uh, 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 upset. What often happens if it's and you're in the uh, no, if you're paying attention all the time, you have high attention, you're doing everything then you have high attention doing everything. You're not going to make a mistake. But if you keep on doing that task over and over and over again, you're going to have operational drift and you're going to have the normalization of deviance, right? Deviating from the uh, norm of what's expected. Hazard prevention and control, another core element. Education and training. All workers need to be trained on how the program works and they have to support the thing. And by the way, if you're a manager or a leader, you have to be an expert in the program. You have to work towards that. If you're not going to be an expert in it, you got to know how to ask darn good questions, how things work. Guess what? A lot of people are very proud at what they uh, are doing. They're willing to tell you, hey, I'm proud of what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is how you're going to do it. If you ask the right questions in a non-confrontational manner, you're probably going to get more uh, 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 tread out of that. You're going to get probably more uh, of whatever you're looking for. You're going to get cooperation. It's going to be a nice thing. And you might even develop a friendly relationship and become friends with people, right? Uh, yes, friends at work. That's really important uh, to go out and develop those interpersonal relationships. Not only is it for you becoming a leader, maybe no, not translating into a promotion or something, but it also makes for a safe and healthy workplace. Makes your job easier. If it makes your job easier with a safe and healthy workplace, guess what? You're not out there doing all this confrontational stuff with the guys. No, uh, like uh, no, often, yeah, I'm the safety professional, and I have been in the past. I was in the mid-level. Now, okay, we got to get Frank from another department to go out there and do the investigation, and Frank is a jerk. And you get into the old Star Trek joke, right? With Captain Picard with the uh, uh, being interrogated by the Cardassians, right? How many lights are there? There are four lights. No, there are five lights. And you're there and they're biasing everything towards them and harassing people. We're going to keep, we're going to lock you in here until we get the answer that we're looking for. Why this happened? And you're the answer. Yeah, but don't you set up a sentence? Shut up. Don't you move an incentive for No, you don't buy us any right equipment. No, we buy you all the right equipment. If you don't have it, you bring it yourself. This is the kind of stuff that goes on with this stuff. You know, this is not the kind of manager you want to be. Program evaluation and improvement, right? Control measures need to be 
periodically evaluated for effectiveness. So you do a hindsight thing. Hey, how can we improve this? You know, how do we improve this sort of thing? How can we uh, do this? Because you have, again, the concept of learning teams. Uh, Brett Sutton is a, right, an expert on this. He has a lot of publications along with some other folks on it. You have three types of learning teams. You have, they're in response to an accident or an incident. You have that type of learning team. Then you have part of your regular everyday learning teams. Then you have a management of change learning team, three basic types. There may be more, but those are the three I can always remember. Those uh, that I use. Well, hey, this is what's coming up in the future. Let's take a look. How can we could integrate this or how this is going to impact what we're doing? All right. Uh, no, constant improvement. Communication and coordination for host employers, contractors, and staffing agencies. This is where a lot of uh, places fail. They have a contractor coming into the facility and the contractor does not know what the fleet they're doing. And there's often very little vetting in the contractor and very little evaluation. One company I know, their only vetting process is, do you have insurance? Because you're going to need it. They do not care less about what goes on. Things are changing slowly. But what happens is that that's when you get the lawsuits two or three years later. You need, now, does that contractor, do they have... Are they, are they culturally congruent with what we're doing? Are they culturally compatible with us? Uh, do they have a safety plan? Do they have training? How are their workers? Can we interview the workers? Can we interview the supervisor, making sure we're all on the same page? Are they familiar with our stuff going on? Are they familiar with our plans, our procedures? All part of process safety management standard also, by the way. So by law, you have to do a lot of this stuff. If you're operating in a permit-required confined space entry environment, you definitely have to do this. And you get in and everybody's on the same page and everything else. And before you know it, you're developing relationships. And as companies, everybody wants to do a good job most of the time. There are, okay, yeah, there are some times they don't want to do a good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what happens? You end up getting into uh, uh, having a successful safety culture, whatever that is, less people hurt, more happiness out there, uh, better attitudes. And remember at those safety triangles that everybody talks about, attitudes are everything. Uh, all this stuff goes into this. And that's all part of the safety war. This is a good document that's OSHA- 3885, a good outline for your battle plan and fighting that safety war that we're always talking about. It's a safety war not against people. It's a safety war for people, against the safety hazards that we see out there, against the attitudes, against negativity, against pessimism, against cynicism, even though we were a little bit sarcastic and cynical here. So, yeah, okay, great. All right, all that stuff goes into fighting that safety war. And that's all I really have for tonight. So we're going to come back tomorrow. Remember, we're here from 8 to 9 p.m. every night, every weeknight on Safety FM. Uh, and for everybody here at Safety FM, I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, we love you. We need you. Come back tomorrow. And good night. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.
Good night from Safety Wars.